Hey, Frank. How you doing, buddy? Hey, James. It's kind of rainy out. It's been dark all day, so I'm kind of happy. I love it. I'm getting a lot done. <laughs> well, I was just on a live stream, and I said, it's beautiful outside. It's so sunny and, and beautiful. and Yeah, but it's, it's not really... a liar. It's not really <laughs> sunny. I was, I was walking outside with Hanselman yesterday on campus. He was in town, and we're walking, and I go, it's beautiful outside. He's like, what are you talking about? It's completely gray. I go, yeah, but it's a beautiful temperature. It's the gray is just fine. It's not dark gray. It's like a light gray in a way. You know what I mean? It's in between. Br- bright gray. Yeah. It's all relative. It was bright for, you know, how the rest of the 16 hours of the day are. <laughs> um, but the dates are getting longer, so we, we can't keep using these complaints. But I'm sorry. I had to open on the weather because I just love look, looking out the window and seeing it all. It's good, good lighting. Yeah, it's good lighting. It's it's one of my favorite parts of being in this office space. I align my desk. I think you've been into the new place, I'm pretty sure. No? New place? I don't know. You'll have to send me pictures. Well, in the new place, we have our desks. And if I turn directly to my right, so I'm standing. You saw me standing during the last time. If I turn directly to my right, there's a window right there. So I look oh. out to the street and to the window. It's beautiful. Okay. Okay. So you weren't lying when you said the weather was beautiful because it is quite green on that Microsoft campus. So I'm sure it was quite lovely out. Yeah. Well, I'm at home. Oh my God. I'm so confused. What are you talking about? Office, home. Where do you podcast from? Where's your Twitch from? Home office. (laughs) Home office. (laughs) There you go. Home office. All right. Uh, No OPSEC. I can't reveal where you're from, but that's also a very pretty part of Seattle. So it is. I'm standing by my claim. <laughs> but we're not here to interview me, Frank. We're here to mm. interview you. Oh, gosh. Really? I I am going to be the uh, in, interlocutor today. Oh, nice word. Wow, that's a fancy word. Uh, does that mean interviewer? I believe it is a person who takes part in a dialogue or conversation. Oh, it's actually just everyone's an interlocutor then. That's kind of boring. I believe both of us may be interlocutors today. We're interlocutating? I don't, God, let's stop down this path. (laughs) Okay. So we teased last episode that we wanted to have just an interview with Frank Krueger. Who is Frank Krueger? Who is the man on this podcast? Why is he here? What is he doing in life? How did he become a successful independent Mm -hmm. app developer extraordinaire making such apps as iCircuit, Calca, other apps that you know. <laughs> continuous. That... Throw me a continuous. I love that continuous. one. Continuous. It's a full IDE, people. I always forget what you do, Frank. A little bit of everything. He made Wii. He made SQLite Net. He made no money from those, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And Mocast and Spacey made no money from those. Back in the day, Poker Cheat made no money from that. Back in the day, Seattle Bus Map made no money from that. The life of an app developer. So we're going to talk about that. The Terrible ups and downs of that. Oh, no. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I mean, harrowing. I mean, wonderful. I mean, um, I have gray hair because of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the oh, my goodness, am I going to be able to pay rent this this month? Yeah, it's all yeah. good. It's all good. Cool. Uh, I'm excited for this. Um, truth be told, uh, this has been in the list for a very long time. And every time James mentions it, I, I just groan. I say, oh, gosh, part of it is um, I'm, I'm worried about being indulgent, uh, always a concern of mine. The other is I don't know how any of this is at all interesting. So hopefully somehow we'll make it interesting to you, this story 
of me. The Weird. story of Frank Krueger. The story of Frank. Uh, so this came from Stefan, who emailed in last September, and we had been wanting to put this on the calendar for a long time. And it felt like starting the new year to do this would be quite interesting. And also, we're out of topics. So there's that. Wow. That that was very honest of you, James. Why are you being so honest? I'm interlocuting. <laughs> we're interlocuting. We have plenty of topics, but I thought this would be kind of a fun one since, you know, we've been traveling quite a bit and all over the place. And what Stefan wanted to know is he actually had a bunch of different questions since he's been listening since episode one, 131 Ooh. episodes, Stefan. We appreciate your dedication to the pod. Bravo. I have not listened to that number of episodes. <laughs> I have because I edited all of them. So bravo, bravo to the two of you. <laughs> and he asked a bunch of questions that I'll probably get into. Uh, but if I sort of look at it, he sort of wanted to know a little bit about, as he called it in quotes, the Kruger system business model. But I don't think that that's what we really want to talk about. We want to talk more about you, your journey and where you got. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like, Frank? Serious. No, no, no. That's no, where we're kidding. starting. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, so first, I want, okay. I'm, very in, I'm very interested I'll, I'll, in what I'll give was you your background. Though. Okay. <laughs> Here's Frank's background. Go. I am actually proud of this. So I was born and raised in upstate New York. That's what I was told it was called, but we called it Western New York. Imagine on a map of New York, look at the left part of it. That's it. <laughs> a little town called Lockport next to a bigger town called Niagara Falls next to a bigger town called Buffalo. That's where I grew up. Oh, I know where that's at. I know exactly. Well, Buffalo. I know where Buffalo's at. Yeah, it's we got great lakes and very, very deep snow in the winter. <laughs> and it's cold. And sunny sometimes, but it's usually humid when it's sunny. So there's trade-offs. The the peculiar part of winter when it becomes sunny is that it is a time where you could get sunburn in the winter and it doesn't make any sense. Oh, it makes so much sense because that's the best part of winter when it's super freezing cold. Like the slushy warm part of winter is the worst. You want it well below 10 degrees, well below zero for the majority of the time. That way you can ice skate everywhere. That way you can play with snowmobiles that break down. And that way you uh, can get sunburns, as you mentioned. <laughs> so you grew up in upstate New York mm -hmm. and you decided that you were going to become a developer. That's what I assume. What was your career path no. to becoming a developer, I guess? <laughs> oh, ups and downs. You know, n no one's life is ever that simple. I could never decide what I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to do something with like um, technology or engineering or science, something nerdy, but I wasn't really sure <laughs> which direction it would ever go. Um, but it just turned out that I, I kind of got hooked on programming as a kid. Um, I got good at it. I got a job doing it where I actually was a, excuse me, able to refine my skills quite a bit. Um, nice opportunity in high school. I actually got to work in a research and development group and got good at programming. And um, from there, it was just like, okay, so I can program. Why would I want to make a career out of that? It was never a question of, can you program? It's what are you programming? Like, what tasks are you trying to accomplish? So I thought I needed more skills than that. So I went into electrical engineering uh, in college. So when you were developing in high school, that's also where I got my introduction to it. What was your, were you always a like math person? Were you always a tinkerer? Like what led you to even find, like, did you have an opportunity <laughs> in high school that there was a class and what, what language was that that got you interested in it? 
Uh, no, I didn't actually get into the class. Funny story about that. Um, uh, a friend and I both wanted to get into the Pascal class in high school, but neither of us got in for one reason or another. And we were both very upset about it. So we spent the summer um, teaching ourselves Pascal. And to this day, he's one of the best programmers I know and is running his own uh, VoIP business and is very successful at it. So quite proud that the two people who didn't get into the class uh, ended up being successful programmers, if I may. Um, <laughs> but um, I was interested in programming as a kid, uh, just writing basic scripts and all that stuff. But um, what really got me into it was games and graphics. I was really into 3D graphics with like Pavre and things like that. And I just wanted to make pretty pictures. And I wanted to play with video games and learn how to put pretty pictures in video games. So I learned what programming I needed to to get that done. It's funny how video games, like me, I was a game kid too. And that yeah. was a very similar interest of mine. And uh, I I was lucky enough to get into that Pascal class. I, I skipped the basic class, funny enough. And then... <laughs> nice. Was it actually Pascal? Turbo Pascal. Nice. Awesome. Big fan. Big fan. Okay, so you are now down this path of engineering. You decided not yeah. to go into video games, but into electrical engineering. Why electrical <sighs> engineering? Uh, like I said, I kind of, I, I was arrogant. Um, I'm like, I got this programming thing down. Like there's, there's nothing more to learn here. I Bro. wasn't ever interested in computer science. It just seemed like, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem that interesting. It seemed very basic to me. So I wanted to learn something I didn't know. And electrical engineer, um, in, in that R and D department I got to work at. Uh, that was all electrical engineers, and they seemed like very well-rounded, very knowledgeable people. And I guess if there's one theme in my life, it's that I just kind of want to learn everything and do everything. And so it seemed like these are the people with those kinds of skills. So I'm like, all right, let's start there. So how does normal development compare to the electrical engineering? Is it completely different? Are you still programming things at that point? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many similarities, but... The big thing with them is um, quality and reliability and guarantees of correctness. Um, you're building a system that you want to be to have the same reliability as, you know, a, 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 something you dump in the river and generates power, you know, a, a little turbine like that. As long as it's in the water and it's there, it's going to generate power. It's a mechanical system. It's simple. You want that in computer software <laughs> and so something that's turnkey and just works that's what they want um but they have all the same problems that we have as like modern app developers and everything so it's it's you know the the diagrams overlap the the sets overlap definitely but there's a much harder focus on reliability and guarantees that every possible state transition has been accounted for if this thing breaks, if that thing breaks, all that stuff. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm kind of a, a hundred percenter completionist, perfectionist kind of person. And I just kind of love this idea that you're building, it's, it's a complicated machine, but you still can play, play some guarantees on it. So the interesting part that I'll kind of, that is that you love that you really, really, really 
can't mess it up. Basically, it has to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. That said, um, I, I have a good funny story from it. I was writing some software for a car and some people were out on a test drive with that car. And I didn't go. I didn't get to go on the test drive. I was very upset. But uh, they were off and they reported that all of a sudden the car just started screaming honking, just making all sorts of racket and noise, really high-pitched, very loud, as they were driving through a city, like on a main street. So they had to pull over, turn it off. Every time they would turn it on, it would keep doing it. They'd wait two hours, and then finally it would stop. But the stupid thing kept doing that. So that was a bug. That was me. That was an overflow, integer overflow. (laughs) What I managed to do was uh, turn the front end fan of the car. This is a big fan at the front of your car that tries to keep the radiator cool and do Mm -hmm. a few other things. Yep. Turns out they're a lot more powerful than you ever use them to. But if you put them to max power, (laughs) they sound like a trumpet. (laughs) They start, they're very loud. It's very dangerous and very exciting. So I learned um, software bugs, they can be bad. So make sure you do all your math right. But that got me interested in um, programming languages too. So I kept, um, boy, uh, Eiffel, do you know the programming language Eiffel? Mm -mm, I do not know. This is a precursor to C-sharp, a very big, important language in the object-oriented landscape. But it was designed by someone who was also an electrical engineer trying to create guarantees on systems. And so I fell in love with that programming language because it was object-oriented, it was advanced, it was fast. But he was trying to solve the same problem I was trying to solve of let's not overflow and make that fan start screaming again. Anyway, I don't know... How I got off. Yeah. Bertrand Meyer. Yeah. Uh, Read his books. Find all his books. Read all his books. He works at Microsoft now. You should become a fanboy. (laughs) Um, Absolutely brilliant when it comes to software design. And there are uh, features of C Sharp I wish we could steal from Eiffel. Nice. How interesting. I'll have to investigate in our who or who tool (laughs) sorry sorry off topic i forget what the question was james but um these are the things i was thinking about at that age um because i had this exposure to software operating in the real world quality just became very important to me got it and that seems as if the transition into after college so the transition after college it seems like you went into college for electrical engineering went into this automotive industry and that's what got you more involved in transitioning from electrical engineering to development at that point? Or is it because you uh, were forced to do development at that first job out of college? No, uh, kind of none of the above. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went to RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, go Tigers or something like that. <laughs> we have an awesome hockey team. I don't think we have any other teams. We have like lacrosse and hockey. So go us. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do in college. Um, that friend of mine from the Pascal class, he and I used to work together on his voice over IP network. So I kept my networking skills really sharp with him. He and I just kept working on projects on this and that. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. And that led me up to, um, I started taking some random computer science classes just because I thought, Hey, I'll dual major in computer science until I took quite a few of them. And then I was like, oh, this is really boring. I can't do this. (laughs) Computer science. um, It's really, you're all very brave for getting through it. Good job. (laughs) Thanks. 
Yeah. You did it? You're a computer science? <laughs> yeah, I have a bachelor's of of uh bachelor's of science in software engineering, Bravo. I guess. <laughs> it, okay, the software engineering I like, but the computer science is some tough stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I'm exactly the same because I went to like a game tech school. So I probably wasn't, it, it's definitely not the same curriculum as RIT computer science, I'm pretty sure. So okay, <laughs> uh, I can guarantee that. So Our computer science uh program kind of produced uh, jQuery. Well, at least produced the kid who wrote jQuery. He was at school around the same time I was. So at least we have that coming out of RIT. And you and you out of RIT. So there's two. Yeah, go us. <laughs> um, so anyway, one of these computer science classes I decided to take was this operating systems class. And actually, I really enjoyed that because up to this point, I was writing little operating systems for little embedded systems related to the automotive and whatnot. And this was the first time I got a formal education in how operating systems work. And so I still think back to that class to this day. I really enjoyed it. I kept the book and everything. Was that sort of the transition point into into your like mind? Because uh, I think everyone has that one maybe. transition point or a key one it, at least. That, that might have been it, but it, something happened after that. Ah. Um, I'm a, a student in the class, um, uh, you know, just someone I met along the way there was a career day happening at the school and they were too nervous to go stand in the Microsoft line at the career day to go submit your resume to get an internship. Oh, so this is where they, all the big companies come in yeah. and they have their booths and whatnot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got it. I, I didn't even know these things existed. This is how like checked out I was. I was just trying to learn as much as I could. I really wasn't thinking about the future. And I'm like, okay, I'll go with you so you feel better. And you'll sit in this line. And so we both go sit in the line. And I'm like, okay, here's my resume. Because so, I handed it in too. I thought, why not? I don't know what else to do in life. And then they got back to me. And they said, hey, come for an internship. Oh. Come do an interview. I went to the interview. And we ended up talking for the entire interview about an old Star Wars game for the old PC that had like vector graphics. And I just kept... I was really into 3D graphics at TIE the Fighter? time. The TIE Fighter game? No, no, much older than that. Before TIE Star Fighter, Wars. before X-Wing. It was, it's a very, very old one. It had a trench run in it. It was mostly just a trench run, but it was vector graphics. Super old. But the fun thing was, um, this guy was also into 3D graphics. So we just kind of hit it off talking about 3D graphics and how I'd implement the game. And so that's what my interview at Microsoft was. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is weird. And um, it got to this weird decision point in my life where it was, um, do I go out to Microsoft or do I keep working in this R&D department that I've been working in since high school that I loved, that I learned so much in and advanced in very well? Uh, I decided I'd spent my whole life in New York, time to go see the world, so ran off to Microsoft. So the internship was on campus here in C in Washington. Yeah. Yep, yep. Working on, uh, <laughs> well, we called it Longhorn, um, but what became... Vista. Um, yeah, Vista. Vista. Ooh, that's Vista. a great internship out of college. Actually, I was working on... WPF, oh, okay. the, the, a part of Vista, <laughs> so not on Vista, like the kernel or anything. And 
sorry, I have to I have to throw in one more thing because this is a kind of common theme that I've always struggled with the engineer versus the computer programmer part of me. When I was interviewing at Microsoft, um, I did not do well. And it was quite a blow to my ego because up to this point, I'd pretty much had nothing I couldn't program, give me a problem and I could do it. Mm. But I had a hard time at these Microsoft interviews because they were asking me computer science questions with computer science terms. And I knew none of that because I just wasn't interested in it. And so um, after that, um, that experience, I still got the internship, but it didn't go as well as I wanted. Remember, I'm a perfectionist. I want to know the answer to everything. I want to know everything. So I spent the next year just diving into computer science, just self-educating. I bought myself every algorithms book, everything Knuth wrote, everything Worth wrote, everything Dijkstra wrote. I just read and just read and read and read. And I just spent a year self-educating on CS. And that's basically all my CS knowledge comes out of that one year of <laughs> intense study. <laughs> so how did the internship work? Was that during the summer and then you went off at that point? Or was yeah. it like, how did it work? Uh, so I, the whole reason I meant to mention RIT there was that it's um, known as an internship school. So it's on a quarter system and you're expected to go, to go off and work. And I actually did a master's degree program. It takes five years. Look at um, you. Fancy, fancy pants. Wow. It just seemed logical. Get as much school done as you can, as quickly as you can. Turns out there aren't many people who actually do the program that I was in in the time that they tell you. Uh, They always say, like, it'll take five years. It's a lie. It takes six years. But they didn't tell me it was a lie, so I got it done in five. And I was very proud of myself. They're like, you're only the second person to have finished this in five years. I'm like, good job, me. And you all lied to me. That's very naughty of you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, enough gloating. Um, Where were we? (laughs) Well, so you're off on this internship that you're now working on WPF on Longhorn. Now, when in your career path in college is this internship? So people have a reference. Cause I don't, I don't, a lot of people may know, like we're good friends. I know very little about Frank. It's not proper to talk about yourself. So yeah. thank you all for listening to this. And indulging. <laughs> I'm <us>. interested. <laughs> okay. Uh, this internship was the summer before my last year of college. So whatever you want to call that. Yeah. So you go off and you're like, wow, Microsoft Pacific Northwest, best thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah, kind of. No, not best thing. I had a lot of good friends and I had a lot of good family back home. There was a lot to leave behind. Um, But it was so different from New York. (laughs) I mean, people's attitudes, the weather, the ground, how clean things are, jobs, money. There is money. (laughs) You know, little things like that. and I just like the water. I like the area. And it just seemed, I actually had family in California, but it always seemed a little too sunny for me. I like, mm. you know, the rain and the snow a little bit. You've so mentioned. It seemed like the perfect, you know, I, I really appreciated that there was no snow here, but I, I have come to miss the snow a little bit. I might have to go join Clancy up in Alaska someday. <laughs> well, you know, there's snow if you want it. It's snow on demand. You just have to go a little it bit. It is nice. Isn't that great? We can just drive to snow. Just drive to snow. It's the best place. Hey, one snow, <laughs> hour away. Go for it. You're right. It's perfect. 
Yeah. Um, so fell in love with it. Um, but I still, I still had mixed feelings. I had a good experience, but I went back to college, um, had a great senior year, did way too much stuff. I can't believe the amount of things I accomplished, um, just because I did too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, um, I actually had the option, uh, to continue on to do a PhD. I had made friends with a professor there. And he really wanted me to continue on as a PhD. He had all the funding lined up, all that kind of stuff. But I had kind of burnt myself out a bit (laughs) that senior year of college. And the thought of continuing on with school in that format just, you know, it was like pretty oceans and sailing or (laughs) PhD in snowy New York. And I'm sorry I took the easy path. Um, sorry, Dr. Olaszewski. I'm still apologizing for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so did you get from the real, real path there? So from the internship, <laughs> did that open up the job opportunity at Microsoft or was it just that you wanted to go back to the Pacific Northwest? It did open up the job opportunity, but here, here, here's something crazy with my psychosis. Um, I wanted to see if I could get any other jobs there. I was curious about other teams and that kind of stuff. So I went through a whole nother round of interviews. And this is in the bad old days of Microsoft interviews, where it's like six or seven in a day, all long, all excruciating, coding on boards intensely. Um, These are the abstract question ones, like how do you move Mount Fuji? (laughs) I was... They did all that stuff for the internship questions, and I was blown away. Uh, I was just at how ridiculous the questions were. <laughs> but my second time through the loop, as they call it, um, I was expecting them. And not that I even had answers, but I was just at least not thrown off guard for all that stuff. But long story short, I still did poorly, James. Oh, no. I still failed all the interviews. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough little company, that Microsoft. You know, so if you don't pass through, don't worry. Keep trying. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I wanted to be a dev. And... Um, that's what I was interviewing for, but I had, um, another opportunity to be a dev in test, which is another kind of dev. So you're not actually working on the product as a dev in test. You're working in the QA department, you're working in test and you're writing apps to test the product. So in my case, I was writing apps to stress test and beat up on windows. Oh, okay. Take that windows. So that seems like a dramatic change from jamming on code every day. Oh, it is jamming on code every day, though. It is that constantly. So it's, um, this is, I'm not sure Microsoft even has as big of a test department as it used to have here. But it was um, quite a large org where you had a lot of people um, manually testing the software. Mm. And then you had a whole nother chunk of people creating automated tests to run against the software. Think unit tests, but think much more advanced than unit tests. Integration tests, I guess, is what we'd call it now. Got it. Um, yeah, so this was a, a battalion of developers <laughs> running these automated tests, and that was me. And it was such a good opportunity for me, though, because I met such brilliant programmers. You know, um, it's it's a real fact of life that you only improve when you work with someone who's better than you. <laughs> Not at the same skill as you, but better. <laughs> it's important. And I just, my skills as not just a programmer, but 
I mean, they taught me what version control was. I had never used version control up to that point. Even all that time at a large corporation, we never used version control. Just, you know, those basics, how to work in teams, all that stuff. It was very, very good job. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, so you sort of changed your stars a little bit in a way, I would say, to this path. I mean, it's similar down the development path. You're in engineering. Do you? I remember the last thing I knew that you did at Microsoft was on the XAML team. That's how I know you. So did you migrate back to the XAML team or what was your next progression in, in this career path? Uh, so that was all a part of the XAML team in that regard. So mm. it's not the end of my Microsoft career there, but let's just say I only made it one year. Oh. <laughs> so about um, toward the end of it, I was already getting a little antsy. Um, I just wanted to do a little bit more. And here's where the story gets a little crazier, okay? Okay. So I had a friend in college. Um, This fellow was from India, and his father worked in the Navy, and the Navy was subcontracting some things. And the subcontractor was failing to deliver on the contract, Mm. and they needed an engineer stat. And it was well beyond my capabilities at the time. At this point, I had worked in small teams. I'd gained a bit of knowledge at Microsoft. I had tons of programming knowledge and um, low-level systems knowledge from the other jobs and such. But this was come in to a factory, design a system, work with a team to have it manufactured, sell it, um, qualify craziness, you know, documentation, the rule book is a million pages long. And I decided, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) So I quit my job at Microsoft. I started a company in India, traveled to India, and started reading about naval ships and how they work and how to build them, basically. (laughs) So so really the transition point that it was not that you were going to go become an independent app developer at all, it was about this kind of crazy opportunity in a way that just sparked your interest. You're yeah. like, I'm, I'm a, just as if to me, when you are like, why not go all the way to Seattle, Washington and do an internship? You're like, why not go all the way to India and do this crazy thing? I, I guess when you put it that way, <laughs> for me, it was, it was, I, I just wanted new experiences. I, I wanted to do something I hadn't done before. It seemed like an amazing, um, an amazing real project that I could control too. I'm a real control freak. You know that much about me. I do know that. And it just seemed, yeah. So it was kind of a hilarious project. Uh, they'd been given two years to create a control system for the ship. Uh, turn the knob to the right. Uh, rudder goes right. Not really that hard. It gets more complicated when you take into account what happens if the rudder or the helm is destroyed. What if this part of the ship is destroyed? What if this part of the ship is sinking? Will this part work? Will that part work? So it became this redundancy and craziness thing. And I was given two months to come up with a qualifying demo of it for something that they failed to produce after two years. So it was a real blitz it just it, i mean it's such a blur i i flew into hyderabad and two months passed and then i was demoing in front of the admiral it was crazy times wow that's bananas in general yeah. you never <laughs> bet you never thought you'd be doing that growing up in upstate new york 
No, no. Well, actually, I was comfortable in a factory, though, um, because of all my time at the car manufacturer. Uh, I, I knew my way around a factory. I knew how not to die in front of machines. I knew how not to command people to die, which is actually, that sounds terrible. I, I'm phrasing things poorly, but I, I'm moving very large hydraulics. These hydraulics are powered by engines that are larger than the engines in your car. And the sole purpose of that engine is to move a rod so that rod can move very fast and with a lot of power. Mm. And I have 12 people milling around and four hy hydraulic pistons that I'm controlling in a simulation, not a, you know, like a full scale simulation of a ship. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that discussion about reliability and quality and all that, it all came flashing back to me, you know, before I was worried about making um, the fan sound too loudly. And in this case, I was literally worried about killing someone. So again, software quality became a very important thing to me. Wow. So how was that experience just going and sort of changing your stars again and moving over there i mean i don't it's amazing to it, me it well okay so i should be clear i didn't move move um as in i was still paying for an apartment back in seattle mm. so my thought was spend a quarter of my year in india you know something like that but i did go through i did start a company there i did have employees all that kind of fun stuff because i became a subcontractor um it was an amazing experience. I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. Um, but it's also one that, well, just having the opportunity, but it's also what set me along a path of being independent. Um, because the real moral of the story is I decided to stop working for militaries and all that stuff. But even after that, I, I didn't want to go back to Microsoft. So the biggest gift of all this was to just give you the, me the idea that you could be independent and run a company and be successful if you just work your heart out, <laughs> work yourself to death. So you went off, you kind of found this passion for doing it yourself, doing your own. Now you were subcontracting at that point. And then did you, what led you back to the States at that point? I mean, but obviously you wanted to get away from some of this and you now you knew you could do it mm -hmm. on your own, but you're like, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go back to Seattle. Yeah. Was it the iPhone? Was it really the iPhone? Not yet, James. No. Now we'll call these the wilderness years. So ah. I've decided I don't want to do um, this military stuff anymore, but... I did enjoy traveling the world and working on interesting things. So I just started traveling the world a lot. Um, I didn't really have any plans. I had a few dollars in the bank and just decided to spend it doing literally anything other than work. Um, I just couldn't get myself interested in programming anymore. <laughs> so fun time of my life. I tried a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. You should travel a lot. It's fun. You do travel a lot. That's that's just a general recommendation to everyone. If you have the opportunity, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I agree. And I was listening to your Trinspo podcast that you did with Heather, and I'll link it in the show notes in case people missed it. But it's very, very fun journeys that uh, I like to hear that you've been on. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love travel. I, I 
meeting people and the, the world out there is, is phenomenal. Even if you're traveling within the yeah. United States, right? It's, it's very different and look and awesome to do. It was a change of scenery. I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And so I was doing everything but live my life, which I guess accounts to living your life. It turns out I didn't quite get that whole catch 22 thing back then, but I was just being an escapist and just running around. Didn't know what I wanted, James. I became a web developer for a while. So that seemed fun. Um, I did ASP.NET with databases and everything uh, as a contract worker, but kind of learned I didn't want to do that either. And then you're right. During my wilderness years, along comes this thing called an iPhone. And at first I said, what a piece of garbage. I'm not interested. (laughs) I can't program for this garbage. (laughs) Two, two close friends of mine, people I really trust, both showed it to me and said, Frank, this is an interesting thing. And both times I was like, I got this BlackBerry and the BlackBerry's totally fine. I don't, I don't get what you're doing. Yeah, the internet's a little better, I guess. So I didn't get it. it took me a while. <laughs> well, what was the catalyst there? Was it the first demo where C Sharp was? At that point, were you even a C Sharp? You were a C, I guess you were a C Sharp person on the XAML team and then on doing ASP.NET, it sounds like you were still into that world. I was, but at this point, I feel like I have to do a hipster thing. Um, yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, when I got back <laughs> from India working on the ships, I was really concerned about quality and all that for the same reason um, I got into Eiffel when I was younger. I was like, oh, what people, what's a modern thing that people concerned about security and safety are into? And I got really into Eiffel, the programming language, Mm. way back before all the hipsters got their elixirs and Eiffel took over the world. I used it when it wasn't cool and was really hard to operate. (laughs) But the cool thing about um, Erlang was that they were concerned with the reliability of systems, and it was really inspiring. I often feel like my career is me chasing programming languages and things like that. But no, uh, ever since college, when I was super into programming languages, I fell in love with C Sharp. Because I was a C++ programmer, I was like, hey, this is a way better C++. And so uh, ever since uh, college, through Microsoft, and into my web development career, I was a C Sharp developer. Hmm. Got it. Okay. All right. That's a good, good journey path language history course for the Frank. So you're back, your iPhone. And is what point where you're like, I'm going to stop traveling and I'm going to go back to work reality of solar development. Like what was that catalyst? Um, it was the iOS SDK because at some point, um, through all this, and I don't remember the exact timing, but I bought myself my first Mac. I had always wanted a Mac in my life. Uh, when I was in college, I would escape off into the College of Science, not the College of Engineering, because the College of Science had Macs, and I could write all my report on Macs, and they were so much better. Mm-hmm. I always hated having to use the College of Engineering computers. They were PCs, and they were terrible. <laughs> but... I was living the PC life. I was working at Microsoft, all that. And the PC's fine, honestly. I just like to dig. But um, I just thought, hey, I'll get this Mac thing, see if I like it or not. Got the Mac, loved it, and then bought myself an iPod Touch Mm -hmm. and not an Mm -hmm. iPhone. Yeah, because I still have my BlackBerry. (laughs) But uh, I loved that uh, iPod 
iPod Touch. I can't even remember its name anymore. <laughs> it could play games. That internet stuff on it was really awesome. And I thought I was super annoyed by it because I couldn't watch videos on it. it there was only the YouTube app and it was stupid and I wanted to watch my anime. And so I wrote this crazy media server and it would uh, do DNS proxying so you could just switch your DNS server over to mine and then all that stuff would work. <laughs> and then I faked YouTube. So I wrote a fake YouTube that wrapped over a file share on your computer. I'm like, wow, this is a lot of effort to put apps on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, the iOS SDK came out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to write an app. Uh, what the heck? I found a break in my traveling schedule, <laughs> forced myself to sit still for a month and wrote CBUS. CBUS. I love CBUS. Yeah, that is the, well, now we have one bus away, but from what I remember, I think it's still in the app store somehow. Is I hope not. A, <laughs> or you showed it to me at some point. It's a bus routing app for the... Seattle yeah. buses, correct? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I made a conscientious decision at this point, whether I was going to be um, an independent software developer. All I knew was I was broke. Um, so we, we missed a good part of my business, which is somewhat important to the story. Um, my biz I started not just my business in India, but I started a business in the United States. And that business was a consulting firm. And I had employees, lots of them. And they all ran off and did different jobs. And ideally, if you're an intelligent business operator, you would collect a profit and your life would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That, that sounds correct yeah. if you are running a business. That is the goal. Yeah. Or if you're writing an Excel sheet before you run the business, you might say, yep, yeah, that's fine. That yeah. means profit right there. <laughs> Uh, so I'm very actually proud of that part of the business, um, but it didn't run at a super high profit level. And so with me not working and spending money, you know, the, the money flow was in the incorrect direction. And so they like to call that in was, the red, in the red there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and getting redder it was oh, beyond red. It was, it was a deep, it was a deep, it was a deep Infrared. burgundy. It was, a, it, was, it was not good. Was, uh... <laughs> yeah, so I was able to stay slightly afloat because the business made a little bit of profit, but not a lot. Um, but basically, it was everyone in the business was basically yelling at me, Frank, get a job. And I said, no, I'm not getting a job. I travel now. and <laughs> But maybe I'll take a couple of weeks and try to write an iPhone app. <laughs> so I did a bunch of Excel sheets. I calculated that um, this one app will solve all my money problems. It will have a huge fan base. Literally, everyone will buy it. And bingo, bango, I can keep traveling. All's good. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And you could, since yeah. you're, you just need a laptop and you probably had a MacBook at that point, or maybe they had MacBooks at that point. Yeah, they had to have. And then you could just yeah. travel the world with your MacBook. I, I wasn't getting that far ahead of myself. I, it was more like, I should be able to write this app and never work again. Oh, that there you was go. The oh, this is yeah, your $5 I mean, million dollar app. I mean, the Excel sheet said, given an infinite population, <laughs> that I would be fine. In Seattle. <laughs> right. Yep. Makes <laughs> With sense. With this device that no one else has bought at this point in time. <laughs> oh, golly. I mean, you look at those hockey curves of like iPhone sales growth, and I look at the time where I started, and I'm like, how did I make any money? How did I think I could make any money? Whatever. It was. I was foolish, and I didn't care because I'm, I'm an idiot. 
So put myself in debt, buying the Mac, just continued putting myself in all sorts of debt. Wrote this app. I was actually very proud of it. Um, it was w- one of the first vector uh, drawn maps on iOS. Everything up to that point was image based. And I did that for one reason. I don't want to pay for a server. I got no money. <laughs> so <laughs> I did I did a all local map, um, had street maps. I had all the bus routes. I did set up a computer that was doing some uh, machine learning. This is forever ago, like 2008. And I was building up a database of how slow each bus was on each route, given the time of day, given all these things. So I was basically building like an early ways and early, early Google wow. transit wow. router kind of thing. And I'm very proud of it. Um, I got it to the point where it was usually accurate to within 10 or 20 seconds. So much so that I started like showing 3D maps of the bus on it and everything. Wow. James, how much money do you think I made on this app? Probably about $10 billion. Well, I wonder what the Excel sheet says I would have made by today. <laughs> I think I made a thousand or two thousand dollars over the course of two years. Ugh. Two years. So imagine you're so sure about an Excel sheet. <laughs> and this app idea that you just devote all your attention to it. Now, granted, I didn't have much attention to spare at the time because I was living in la-la land, um, just trying to do nothing with my life and see things. But um, it was still annoying that life wasn't that easy. You can't just work on something for a month and have it pay for the rest of your existence. Too bad. Too bad. So game over. You're just going to give up and go back and work for work for Microsoft at this point. No. Uh, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Uh, but actually, yeah, I did. Actually, the story is a little bit reverse. I had already given up before this and gone back to work oh, at Microsoft. Yeah. Sorry, skipped over that part. Totally forgot. Uh, I lasted a year. Again, I always last a year. I can hold a job for a year. I'm good for a year. You can get that out of me. After that, it's harder. Um, I really enjoyed that, though. Um, that was on the... Um, uh, Minicore group. Uh, mm. They worked on uh, the TPL, um, a weight and an async, all that stuff that came out of the group I was working um, with on whatever, whatever you say back then. So I'd already done that. And I was like, well, I don't want to burn any bridges at Microsoft by working for just one more year again. So I didn't want to do that. So I pressed on. I kept creating terrible app after terrible app. My skills as an iOS developer were increasing. I could, I got to a point where I was like, well, I can basically program anything I want. Yeah. Problem is, no one will buy anything I produce. <laughs> so you had, you had, you had public, you had kept publishing apps at this point. Yeah. yeah and I kept working on Nothing it. stuck. Were they generating some profit to keep you afloat? I mean, Seattle at that point isn't as crazy as it is today, but it's not a cheap city by any means. No, no, I still had you that know, Microsoft. Yeah, that Microsoft money. You had that Microsoft money for a year. Oh no, no, no! The Microsoft money was out. Oh no! I burned through money like nothing back in this back. Well, don't forget, I was also running a business, a business that required that I pay people even if they're not working. A consulting firm like that. Mm. So I could work my butt off for a month, and then someone could lose their job, and there goes all my monthly profits because I got to keep them afloat. Got it. 
God. It was sense. a tough business. There was a large pool of money and it was basically me trying to throw into it. Got it. Yep. Fun times. So um, I was well into debt, <laughs> but um, I didn't really have any other options. I didn't. Every time I tried to do a, a contract job, I did. I failed at it. So, um, yeah, everyone, <laughs> there can be low points in your programming career. Don't worry about it. Just keep pressing on. Um, a, a few things changed for me. One was um, I found the Mono community with Mono Touch, and this is going to sound a little sappy and weird because, yeah, maybe this actually is a reason why I do a lot of Xamarin work to this day because. I was Drifty McDrifter, and all of a sudden there was this community of developers working in this field that I'd been working in. I was an iOS developer for two years before I started talking to the Mono people. But I was always impressed by Mono. I always held it in high regard. I was always interested in CLR, especially after I worked in the dev div at Microsoft. And so I just fell in with this community on IRC. I thought it was, I felt so nerdy. I hadn't used IRC since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like since I was a wee little baby, mm-hmm. and it's like here I am on IRC. I thought my life had completely regressed at that point, but turns out there were some really nice people, some really intelligent people in the community. People who I still call friends today. I met on there, and uh, that community kind of got me to focus a little bit. To be thoroughly honest, I stopped traveling so much. I um, sat down. Uh, so th- that community drew me in. Sorry, I was hesitating there because <laughs> I remember another friend uh, issued me a challenge, said, um, uh, stop worrying about everything else. Consider yourself at zero right now, dollars wise, and um, stop paying yourself from the company so you're not putting yourself in debt anymore. <laughs> and um, take three months and focus and write something. <laughs> yeah. Step back, take like, a step focus. back. You're you're too you're just trying to do a bunch of stuff and you're so focused yeah. on so many other things that you can't focus on this actual goal that perhaps will change your stars. Yeah. And so it was kind of a permission slip from a from a friend to kind of ignore everything else and just kind of do something. And Obviously, um, incentive for me because I was literally broke and really trying to pay for rent. <laughs> um, but also good timing. This is when the iPad came out. Mm. And um, at this point, I was a pretty good iOS developer. I was using C Sharp again. And so I could apply my iOS skills to C Sharp. I still had good C Sharp skills, so I could do all that kind of stuff. And... Um, I wrote one app, Elcar's Reader. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, yeah. I think it's still, isn't it still on, that one's still on the App Store. Is it? Okay. Well, okay. Let me Long look. I'm story, looking. Short. I'm looking here. I, I, looking. I think I've taken it down. I hope I've taken it down. <laughs> oh, no, you have. You have. But I remember it okay, used to good. be there because I used to look at your account. The Live Spectra yeah, I haven't updated that in a long time. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that one I update. That, one's that one good. you update. Okay. So Elcar's Reader was the first app that I wrote where I made actual dollar bills, y'all. Dollar Real dollar bills, y'all. Money. And I I don't want to okay, revealing some numbers. It, I only made only see, this is why I don't like words. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put all these adjectives around it because I have a lot of feelings, but whatever. $40 a day. 
but that was compared to zero dollars a day that I was making for two years. And that was an epiphany for me. I said, look, all my debt's gone now. <laughs> Life is good. $40 a day. No, it was it was the first break I had gotten basically in the business. Up to that point, I had no proof that you could make money at this. So here was real dollars, double digits on a daily basis. And that just, that made me so happy, James. Yeah, you put something out there and not only did people like are interested in it, but you're getting this recurring revenue. Even if you stop development for a month, it's still selling that much, but you can continue to add more. And now it's this, oh my goodness. Like this is, it's almost the first time you do hello world. Like I could be, I could do this, right? It like blows your mind. Like I can make yeah. money now, you know, that's, that's really cool. Right. And, uh, okay. So uh, another problem with my psyche you, you can i can't help but to compare myself against other people mm. and all my friends who still worked at microsoft all had very large offices with very high ceilings with very large paychecks that they'd been accumulating for several years now they had not seen nearly as much of the world as i have <laughs> haven't had all the adventures but you're still kind of jealous. You're like, golly, it'd be nice if I wasn't broke all the time. Like if I could just buy food and gas and not have to worry about things. <laughs> but it was nice. You know, I, I wanted the office and I wanted to be able to afford gas and food. That would have been nice. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> um, that, that 40 hours a day was a big deal. And that allowed me to relax enough and sit down and write iCircuit, which I was the culmination of a few ideas that I had at the time. One was, I'm not making any money on terrible little apps. People, back in the day, maybe you could get away with the little violin app that you could, there was a gold rush and you could actually make money on it. But people were not buying crappy little apps. No one cared. And you just can't make money there. You can't make money on a dollar or two dollar apps. So I decided I need to build a bigger app, something that actually has features and that actually accomplishes things. And I need to sell it for a higher price. And then a second point was at that I had seen the iPad and I was sad at how few creation apps existed on it at the time. The iPad to this day is still seen as like a gaming and video device. It's what we all, well, it's web browsing, gaming, and video. It's what we all use it for. Very few people use it for creation, anything, code, artwork, you know what I mean, just yeah. creation. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, this was reflected in the app markets. So I said, I want to create a creation app, something where you're making something and being productive. Even if it is just a silly little simulation, at least it's an act of creation. And it was right up my field, obviously, electrical engineering. I was quite comfortable in the space. I knew it was good. I knew it was bad. <laughs> and so I wrote that app. And um, at that point, I just wanted it to make as much as $40 a day, or I was even okay with it making $10 a day. Because I said, look, if I can make $40 a day apps, then I just need to write like five or six of these, and maybe I'll be able to buy, you know, the gasoline and life will be good. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the goal to do that. But uh, to my astonishment, iCircuit sold much better than that. And this was <laughs> so. seemed like it was taking 
your a passion that you had, which was electrical engineering, something that you had deep understanding for, looking at the market and the opportunity at that point. So there's nothing like this. There's no creators. And you built this for, now I understand iCircuit as this circuit simulator, but not only for people that are electrical engineers, but also the educational learning part of it too. And that seemed to me yeah. like some winning combination. Oh, that was a personal pet peeve of mine. I had gone through an electrical engineering program. I knew what software we're using. We are still at that point we're using because the software never changes. I mean, today people are still learning on the same software. It's terrible. I told you I hated working on those PCs mm -hmm. in the College of Engineering. Terrible. And so I said, if I'm going to write um, uh, an app, I'm going to make it easy and friendly to use. But this was also came out of my experience at this point of working with Apple stuff and particularly iOS. iOS was really inspiring from a human interface standpoint of how a machine should operate. All the little tasks that, you know, take three clicks should happen in one tap or ideally just happen automatically. So just principles of design I had absorbed in my two years of not making any money, but at least I had gotten the idea of this is the goal, this is how we're trying to make software. And so the first version of iCircuit was not that great. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember all the bugs it had. I literally spent a month on it because I was, again, desperate for money at the time. And so um, I put it out there, but I quickly, he here's the truth of it, James. Um, when I released iCircuit, I, I had given up again. Mm -hmm. I figured I'm, I'm out of money. My three months was up. I had produced L cars, but it wasn't paying the bills. And so I had actually signed myself up uh, to go work at a bank wow. <laughs> under a contract gig uh. in Ohio. Oh, no. You could have um, been my next door neighbor. Oh, my goodness. I might have been. Wow. Um, I, I say Ohio because I'm from New York and just... Ohio just comes out that way. So I really didn't want to go. <laughs> it's, it's about right. It's about right. It's about to spend 19 years of my life. It's about right. Ohio. Yeah. I knew they had snow and I was like, oh God, snow again. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I went there and because I had set up this gig and so I ended up having to go live in Ohio for five months because I was sure at the time that I was releasing iCircuit that I was going to be broke and I needed money. So the one good thing I say in all this story, like I keep saying, I'm broke, I'm broke. It's, it's don't ever feel pity for me because at any point um, I had marketable skills. I could have gotten a for real Z job. It, I probably would have quit a bunch and <laughs> bounced around a bit, but at least I did have that backup. So I wasn't as in dire straits as maybe my whiny story makes it out to be. Well, and also you had gone back and forth from the independent job back to Microsoft and there's probably opportunities there too. So it's, it's, sure. it's finding what worked for you and adapting to the market. And I know working at a big enterprise, going to a startup into a tiny startup, for instance, you know, the company I worked for was only four engineers and it was all family funded, right? And it was like, hey, once you're out of money, you're out of money at that point. And you go yeah, on to the next thing, out. right? You just go on to the next thing and figure it out. And I've worked with coworkers that have worked for startups and they go and you go for the ride and you, you're there because you know, and you put yourself in that mindset that here's where it's going to start and it may go so far and may take off, right? You don't know. So it, it's a, it's an adventure yeah. really. And all, all careers can be. Yeah. That, 
But the San Francisco lifestyle of starting a business, growing it up, selling it off, making a billion, it never appealed to me. Mm. I guess I come from a more conservative culture where I just wanted a nice, stable company that made money where it could employ people stably. Um, I was all about long term. I've always been, I want long term safety. You know, that's what I think about. And so I never felt comfortable calling myself an entrepreneur just because I think today that word means so much other things than I'm interested in. I just wanted a business where I could hold a job for more than a year. <laughs> and was wow. was I circuit that that again, that that jumping point to to say, okay, I did it. Like this was real again. Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose. Yeah, it, it brought in enough money where, um, well, I went off and I did that contracting gig. So that kind of filled the coffers a little bit. So now I wasn't as I wasn't really in debt as badly as I thought I was or anything like that. Things get go up and down, obviously, over the years. But um, so that meant that I could actually pay rent off of this app. And I wasn't sure what to do at that point, honestly, like, do I keep working on iCircuit or do I continue on the plan of write an app and keep making $40 a day add up until I don't know what end. I remember people would always ask me this question. What's your end? What's your end goal, Frank? And I just like, guys, I just want to pay the bills and keep traveling. (laughs) I just don't have a great answer to people. (laughs) Like what end? I'll die someday. That's the end. Until (laughs) then, I just want to, you know, eat (laughs) and travel and be happy. (laughs) Well, it's what someone and, and Stefan even asked, he goes, you know, are all these apps that you've been making, are they generating as much money as your glamorous lifestyle is suggesting. Now, I don't know what glamorous <laughs> like, lifestyle he's suggesting. Yeah. Even even me, right? I I live in a in a 800 square foot apartment with a tiny right. smart car that's from 2009. I don't know what glamorous lifestyle I'm living either. But um, it's our city. We we surround ourselves with pretty things, and that that makes it glamorous. That's why you live in New York City. So mm. you're like, ah, at least I live in this awesome city. <laughs> That's true. I do like. But yeah, really, we're all just schmoes living in a city, of course. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. So I, I do want to address the glamorous lifestyle thing, but I think I've already made it clear. It's not that I have a glamorous lifestyle. It's a I have no dependence, <laughs> so I can be as self absorbed as I want to be. <laughs> Maybe that'll change someday, but. So ignore that. I'm lucky in that regard. But another one is um, work has always been something to uh, make life possible. Work was never the goal or the ambition. It was always live my life, make enough money to keep living my life. So if it seems like I live a glamorous lifestyle, it's because I have really messed up priorities compared to everyone else. (laughs) The things I prioritize over other things would just it it make you shake your head and say he he's he's not he wasn't house trained properly. (laughs) So (laughs) that's all it is. Um, I like to do the things that. Uh, maybe other people don't get the chance to do very much. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Why'd I say that? Fix it, James. Well, what do people say? Some people say you live to work and you work to live. I believe. Correct. Yeah, it's such a cliche, but it, it really is a perspective, and it's it's one you can have when you don't have any dependence on you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, I'm quite happy making not minimum wage because you can't afford to live in Seattle at minimum wage, but you know, minimum Seattle wage, I'm happy to make. I have no ambitions beyond that other than um, people do tell me that at some point in your life, you do want to retire. The concept seems, 
I don't, I look at people's definitions of retirement. And as far as I can tell, I retired when I quit Microsoft. So I've been retired already for 15 years. And so I feel like I'm just going to keep doing this until I croak. And that'll be that. Yeah. So that's my long-term plan, people. You hear all these really deep thoughts. You hear all these, everyone talking about fire and early retirement and all these things. And even me, I, I love to talk about early retirement and I never talked about it as I'm going to retire, retire. I'm going to semi-retire, which is I am going to continue to work. And maybe that's building apps. Maybe that's live streaming. Maybe that's taking contract work, but I'm going to continue to work or do side hustles to pay additional bills. But I'm at a point where I feel comfortable and confident. And this maybe sounds where maybe you're at, I don't want to speak for you, but you feel enough that like, Hey, you know, I don't, I can, I could take off a week or I could take, or I could work every other day. And this is my life where I can pay the bills and I can do the things that I want to do, but I'm not working for a large company. I'm doing my own thing. That's what I sort of think is semi-retirement, which is I'm at this point where it's okay to do my own thing, whatever that own thing is. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to add a little narcosis to it, though. Hey, man, I'm ready. Um, I feel like I'm, or at least I did spend a good chunk of my life trying to prove myself. So um, maybe it goes back to because I was self-taught in so many of these things, in the engineering and in the computer science parts, that you're, I'm, I was always like, do I actually know this stuff? So I'm always comparing myself to others. Do they comprehend this thing? Do I comprehend this thing? You know, this or that. And I think, thankfully, um, I've been able to leave a lot of that behind. But that drove me to do so much work. It was every time I saw a new field in programming or anything, I had to absorb it and learn as much of it as I could. And I think that was all just me trying to prove to myself that I knew it. But then I wanted the... uh, recognition from someone anyone (laughs) that i also knew it and i think that's why i like releasing software uh to the world so even in my retirement i think i would have to keep releasing software because i want to know am i getting better at this task i've given myself of writing apps and making them interesting and useful am i getting better than that or is it all just tomfoolery in my head and i'm kidding myself so i love that feedback loop. I hate it because the part of me that knows how money works and economies work knows that I should be maximizing my dollar bills and all that stuff. But the other part of me loves testing myself and seeing how people react. And yeah, I guess that's it. I just (laughs) want to make things that show that I actually know what I think I know. That <laughs> sounds a, terrible. It's like I always say, I want to, <laughs> a lot of people will say, I want to make my my family proud, or I want to prove to myself, or I want to prove to my to someone, or I want to feel that accomplishment. And we, I mean, I think in software, we have that, that capability often through releasing now through the app store, through an open source project, getting stars or getting or helping, right? I, you know, when you release SQLite, now that's how we found each other. That's how I knew who you were. It was what you're Frank Krueger. Like I said, that was your, I use your software, you know, and, and I use, I've been using it and it helped make my career. And, uh, at least for me, I don't know if that was a cool feeling for you, but I have that feeling on occasion. And I think that sort of talks maybe to even what you're saying is there's different la- layers to that, of that accomplishment layer and doing that. That's why the semi-retirement is what I talk about. Is like, 
I still want to release stuff because I love doing this stuff, right? I, I kind of love it. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and the open source was a great place for that. Um, started doing conferences and all that kind of stuff. And I should, I, we're over an hour now, so we should let everyone go. But I, we'll just mention one other thing that I've kept conscious my whole career. And um, it's one if you want to be a programmer for a long time, and it's how not to burn out on the industry. And I saw it over and over, not just with friends, because actually I didn't have that many friends, but just stories online uh, in books. You get it. Someone's very active and then they stop working on it. It's a tough job. Um, you can get very cynical about it. It feels very rote at times. Like I have this app in my head, but oh, my God, the work of actually writing it down. Uh, it, it sounds terrible. And so it's so easy to burn out on this stuff. A new library is out, a new runtime is out, a new language is out, a new platform is out. You got to keep learning and all that stuff. The burnout is real and I keep watching out for it. And I find that that's um, another reason why I try not to take too much of this too seriously because I do want to do it for the rest of my life and I don't want to burn out on it perhaps even again. <laughs> well, so thank you. Just those thoughts. Yeah, well, thank you, Frank, for everything that you've done, not only for me and the community and being part of this podcast and uh, sharing your story. I, to me, I, you know, I very. Was it interesting that we just bore everyone to death? I'm sorry, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for getting through it all this way. <laughs> I'm in, I'm inspired. I, I've always been in awe by you and getting to know a little bit more about you. I know that that's only Probably an hour is not enough to tell obviously your life story, but um, to to get a to know a little bit more, I knew some of those things, right? But I didn't know the combination of all these things put together to put kind of this life and time of of Frank Krueger and where you were and where you're at and where you're going. So to me, it's it's super interesting. I hope all of our <laughs> listeners enjoyed it, and thanks, Stefan, for for you know prompting us because I don't think we would have done this episode without something someone saying, "Hey, want to know the you know at least Frank behind the mic." Yeah, people know. I mean, I'm just a... <laughs> no, we never would have done it otherwise. But no, James, this means I have to interlocutify you at some point. <laughs> All right, I'm ready, I think. But we'll leave that one dangling so it doesn't happen next week. All right. Oh, I don't even know what I'll talk about. But actually, I know exactly. Well, I don't know. It depends on what you ask me. So <laughs> I'll be intrigued. Ooh. All right. Well, thanks for all of us. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Coming soon. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in uh, to this amazing, to me, episode of, of Merge Conflict. You can, of course, find Frank at Proclarum, me at James Montemagno, and the podcast at Merge Conflict FM. You can become a patron on our Patreon page. You can like and subscribe and please leave us a review. We would love that. It's my one call to action. Leave us a review and second call to action. Share it with a friend, especially if you like this episode. I think it's a super special episode in, in Merge Conflict. But I think it's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.